Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. You are listening to episode 84. Nothing like an even number, huh, man? And then the second number is half double. Yeah. Wait, the first number is double. The, the first number. Number. I'm no mathematician, Grant, but Neither 84 was a good one. And our guest was a bit of a mathematician, an engineer by trade, a math man, a science man. 20 years in the military attached to the Air Force, a lieutenant, and uh, a man, a wise man, an interesting man, and an insightful man. We talked about something that was near and dear to him, the subject of his latest book and kind of a philosophy that governs a lot of the things that he does and how he does them. Simplicity. Nothing hits me home like a little simplicity. You know, I'm a huge fan. I've got roots in it. I try to cultivate it. I'm obsessed with it. A namesake of yours. uh, Lesco, yeah. yeah. Theles.co which is still my creative studio technically that I'm running stuff through. I don't really push that much, but that's a site that's built on Squarespace, Vince. And Squarespace is a platform that truly embodies simplicity. Shouts out to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And I can genuinely say, a lot of times we do this part during during the intro and I'm like, oh, it was such a good episode. And I'm lying. But (laughs) this time, Vince, I can genuinely say this guy was fucking fantastic. He was fascinating. He was insightful. He was on point. He was passionate. He was not like most... Oh, okay. He was like most of our guests in that way, but he was not like most of our guests in that he's not a a graphic designer. He's not a filmmaker. He's like an engineer, and he comes from the military. It was like super cool. But he was he was also clear about the fact that he is a writer at heart. Yes, yeah, true. He he brought, but he he truly is the marriage of efficiency and efficacy and creativity, which is what made him such a perfect candidate for this topic, and a perfect guest, I would say. So on that note, thank you to Squarespace for your support, ongoing support, and your sponsorship for this episode. Thank you, Dan Ward for taking the time to talk with us and thank you listeners for listening this week and every week hope you enjoy episode 84 simplicity i ate so many cannolis actually that i got violently ill Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit lactose intolerant, and uh, that didn't stop me from going to four different cannoli places in one day, and it kind of caught up with me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lovely city. We're sort of getting back to our old ways, Vince, but something that I don't know—it's—I don't want to say disappointed me, but the reality of the new year and season three is I've just been so anxious to get chatting with you that it's almost like I just jump right in at the beginning. I don't, <laughs> I don't really let that, that energy settle and, and sort of mull about as it, as it was, as it will. And in seasons two and seasons one, I really did. I felt like I let it kind of take its time to develop. I feel like beginning of season two was your peak rumination period. <laughs> you would truly go through elaborate like means of not getting to the point. Anyway, the point is, Vince, I'm curious, and I have a question for you this week. 
<laughs> yes, Grant? I'm just wondering, what are you putting your time into right now, Vince? Vince, what are you working on? Well, Grant, it wasn't so very long ago that I actually answered this question. Yeah. I, I know we don't like to pull back the curtain and reveal our recording schedule, but <laughs> here's the hint. It doesn't happen 10 minutes before we post the episodes on Monday. Uh, but we just talked last night. Yeah. Actually, and working on kind of the same things I was then. Uh, Animal Humane Society campaign at work, at the office. Super good cause. Uh, their Walk for Animals fundraising drive event is coming up. And I really like that. Uh, I really like the client in general. Other than that, helping a friend, proofread a blog, stands to be pretty funny. Uh, looking forward to it. Should go live in a, about a month. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Grant, I'll make up for it. I'll be the yin to your yang and just ask you, what have you been putting your time into recently? You truly are the yin to my yang, Vince, and I'm Aww. glad you put it that way. Uh, I, in the probably close to 24 hours since I last saw you. Um, I really haven't, I mean, I've been working on a bunch of death to stock stuff today. We got kind of a cool campaign we're doing with uh, cafe racers of Instagram coming up and I'm super excited. Actually a friend of the show, Roy son, who, you know, correct? Yeah, absolutely. fantastic photographer. We'll, uh, we'll show notes him. He's got a great Instagram to follow along. And I, I did his branding. I think we talked about that probably in one of the seasons, but, um, he's going on that trip. So I've been kind of coordinating some logistics with that and I recorded a mix last night, been DJing quite a bit, practicing that, so. You've done more in 24 hours, like more <laughs> different things than probably I've done in a month. I so. don't. Yeah, 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 Vince. <laughs> I love it. Um, great. Yeah. Sounds great. Man. The thing is, Vince, I'm just trying to kind of keep it, keep it, not, not bare bones, but sort of focused. Yeah. Minimal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dare I say simple. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh <laughs> I'm really excited for our guest today, um, especially because when we first got this thing going, part of our ethos and our idea was that we wanted to pull in people from all different walks of life, not just the creative fields, although it's sort of a naturally occurring thing. But, you know, we talked about doctors, we talked about, I'm pretty sure we talked about like pilots or people in, dare I say, the military. Yeah, we wanted a lot of people with that came to, even if they were in the industry, in entrepreneurialism or in the creative industry, mm -hmm. we wanted uh, diverse backgrounds, different different roads that led to this path. Uh, and I think we're, we're in for a treat in that regard today. Absolutely. And our guest is coming to us from Boston, Massachusetts. And he is an ex-military man, recently retired, I believe, 20, 20 plus years. Uh, he's got a consultancy now focused around simplicity, which we'll get into. Uh, and uh, he's the author of a couple of books, the most recent of which is called The Simplicity Cycle. Look at us. We're so incredibly creative, <laughs> getting far away from what would be the obvious and perhaps cliche subject. <laughs> but... We are very excited to welcome Dan Ward to the program. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. So, can I do the honors? Uh, I'll allow it. I'll allow it again, Vince. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're, you're on my good side. You're on my good side today. Man, am I lucky. Dan, what have you been working on? What have you been putting your time into recently? Sure. Uh, I love that question. Um, since I retired from the Air Force, I'm, I'm an engineer by training. 
I served, uh, as you mentioned, for about 20 years on active duty um, as a program manager and um, uh, engineering officer helping to shepherd the development of, of new technology systems. Um, but I recently made the switch to uh, now be uh, Mr. Dan Ward instead of Lieutenant Colonel Dan Ward. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm a, uh, an author and a consultant and speaker. So um, I'm really enjoying it. I've got a little office set up here in my basement, and it's a, I spend most of my time uh, writing, doing some research, doing some speaking, um, working on a, a new book. I won't talk a whole lot about that just yet because it's still uh, early days. But um, yeah, taking a look at, at helping clients, uh, finding ways to help clients uh, manage innovation, do innovation more effectively and more efficiently, uh, and mostly helping them help make helping them make good decisions about complexity in the things they they make and in the things they do. Yeah, the the subtext title to your the simplicity cycle is a field guide to making things better without making them worse. I think that's really cleverly said, and it actually I think bears right down to the heart of the the idea of simplicity. Uh, it's not always as simple as less is more, right? That's kind of a, a tired adage. But it is, I think, when we think of minimalism and keeping things clean and coherent, it's improvement without the lack of necessity, in a way. Mm-hmm. I think to just get us started, I would be most interested in kind of how you view simplicity, how you would maybe define it in layman's terms, and how it informs your philosophy when it comes to business. Yeah, uh, excellent. Um, so let me violate the cliche a little bit and tell you that the most important line in the book, uh, again, the book is titled The Simplicity Cycle, but the most important line is simplicity is not the point. Uh, and I didn't actually do this on purpose, but I went back and counted later. I used those ex- that exact sentence. I think I repeated four or five different times uh, throughout the book. So um, again, it wasn't I didn't plan to do that, but when I finished the manuscript, I went back and saw I kind of repeated myself. And uh, I, I think that's telling me something about my own priorities and my own perspective uh, on simplicity. Um, So simplicity is good. Simplicity can be helpful and uh, simplicity can be an important attribute of of our processes, of our technologies, of our our user interfaces, of of our art, you know, whatever it is we're we're making or or providing to the world. Um, But making things simple is not really the point. The, The point is to make them good. Uh, and my book really explores that relationship between simplicity and goodness. And uh, it turns out sometimes the, the right design move, the right thing to do to improve the goodness, to improve the quality, the value, the, the um, meaningfulness uh, of, of a thing is to actually make it more complicated. So complexity has value. Complexity can convey richness and depth to, to, uh, to a meal, to a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or to mm-hmm. a book. Um, so we need to understand that, yes, complexity uh, has its place. Complexity has value and, and contributes meaningful uh, goodness to our, our designs unless we're overdoing it. And that's sort of the, the twist is that we need to manage our complexity well. We need to make good decisions about complexity. Um, but anybody who reads my book and comes away and, and you know, their conclusion is, oh, just keep it simple. Um, boy, <laughs> they didn't actually read the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's excellent. Oh, it's so refreshing to hear, um, especially from a publication titled The Simplicity Cycle, it's so easy to overcorrect and to try to take a hardline stance to prove a point. Mm-hmm. But it sounds yeah, like I, you, I, have a, you have a really nuanced and, I would say, healthy understanding. Healthy, or indeed. opinion, a stance on it, even. Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks. You know, I think where a lot of uh, simplicity advocates and simplicity gurus go wrong is, is when they... They overvalue simplicity. They overemphasize it and say, you know, just just keep it simple. Uh, and in fact, although keep it simple does create a 
very uh, appealing acronym, you know, KISS, the, the KISS yeah, principle. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, as much as we all love that, uh, in fact, the keep it simple principle will stunt the, the growth and development and, and value of a design. Uh, unfortunately, the better uh, acronym would be to make it simple, stupid. And then the acronym for that is MISS. So it's a very unfortunate acronym. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Damn. it's actually, I mean, that, that's the right path. Yeah, so. I would probably argue it's like, uh, keep it effective or make it effective. Effectiveness really is the goal here. And I, I, yeah, I mean, we don't, we never even talk about this, Vince, but you were there from the get go. Technically, and I don't push this at all, but technically, everything I run my, uh, my creative work through, all my invoicing, my actual company is called Less. <laughs> and our tagline is Less is Most. And and Vince, I'm pretty sure you and I were sitting there riffing on names we in a hot tub. Yeah, hot yes, tub yes. Four years ago. Yeah. 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 And so, as you might guess, minimalism and simplicity is something that is important philosophically to Grant and also to myself. Um, and I think in the last, this last decade has been a big one for minimalism, the design world and kind of people in general have become enamored, yeah, right? infatuated. Apple has like popularized exactly, the... Exactly, precisely, um, with simplicity for the sake of simplicity. Mm -hmm. So do you, can you react maybe to this trend of simplicity and maybe give us some examples of people you think are doing it right or people that aren't doing it right? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think there's there's a reason for this emphasis on simplicity and, and sort of like you, you hinted at earlier, it, it's a correction to a, a previous trend or previous tendency. Uh, you know, I think um, particularly in this Internet age where everything is so connected and, and things are, are much more complicated than they used to be, just the, the intrinsic, unavoidable complexity level that's all around us is higher than it was uh, even 10 years ago, you know, let alone 20 or 30 years ago. Um, so in the face of that uh, really unavoidable complexity, people want to um, figure out what they can do to help manage that. And so simplicity is is very appealing in that sense. Uh, and simplicity is not wrong. Uh, actually, my, my first book, um, Fire, I, I go quite a bit about taking a restrained approach to really almost anything or almost everything. So uh, I'm a big favor of a constrained, restrained small mm -hmm. team, short schedules, tight budgets as mm -hmm. a way to sort of form your team for doing uh, tech development projects, which is really what that, that first book was about. Um, so general rule of thumb, yes, I, I'm in favor of uh, less is most. The, the, these things uh, certainly make sense. But the, the trick is that we want to avoid embracing, uh, like you said, simplicity for simplicity's sake, because sometimes simplicity is genuinely inadequate. Man, sometimes absolutely. simplicity is, is underwhelming. I, I, uh, I've been looking at more... Uh, I think it was just like, I think I've been looking at like synthesizers recently, like old designs for like analog music devices. And my first thought with a lot of these is like, I mean, the like actual branding and uh, design elements are very like Bauhaus, very minimal, sure. but it seems like a lot of these devices, the fact that they even exist, some of these devices, I'm just like mind blown. And I feel like our current trend towards hyper minimalism in the spirit of Apple, it, it, a lot of these things wouldn't even exist because they wouldn't have been deemed like valuable enough. Like the utility wouldn't have been there because we're like putting this like crazy pedestal up for minimalism. But okay, here's what, I, well, here's what I'm curious about. Uh, I'm super curious about your, uh, your career in the military. I know like yeah, you have the book and that's fantastic, but a lot of these ideas must have come from your time in the military. 
as well, an engineer. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and in fact, I remember the exact moment uh, when the, the roots of this Simplicity Cycle book were, were, or the seeds of it were planted. Uh, it was 2002. Uh, the war in Afghanistan had just started. Um, there were no uh, U.S. troops or allied troops in, in Iraq yet. And uh, among my duties, I was the program manager for a little system called Bright. Uh, it was an imagery dissemination system. And one of the big challenges at, at that point in time was, you know, we had these uh, overhead images, uh, you know, spy satellites and things like that, that took these pictures, but they produced really large file sizes. Mm. And we had a hard time getting those distributed out to the people in the field with really limited bandwidth. You know, how do we fit a, uh, a great big file down a, a really narrow pipe? Um, so Bright had sort of figured out a, a clever way to address that problem. And I sat down to do a, a demonstration for a Navy lieutenant commander. Uh, she was, so she was one rank uh, higher than me. And she held up her hand and she said two sentences that, that blew my mind, that changed my life, and are, are directly responsible for why I'm doing what I do now. <laughs> wow. She said, and, and I wrote them down in my notebook because I just never wanted to forget these, these two sentences. She said, I don't care how good this thing is. If it's not easy to use, I don't want it. And my brain just sort of exploded because nobody had ever put it to me quite that clearly and that emphatically before. Uh, and the system I brought was easy to use, and she did like it, and her unit went on to use it very effectively. Um, but the sort of the cultural ethos that I was working in was we don't care how easy it is to use as long as it has all the features and functions mm. and make it really complicated and mm. include, you know, throw everything but the kitchen sink in it. That's our definition of goodness. So yeah. phrases mm. like user experience or ease of use, they weren't really part of my vocabulary. Mm. And the idea was, oh, it's hard to use. That's okay. We'll just give the users a lot of training. Yeah, uh, training. <laughs> I mean, a classic military idea. Exactly. Hey, we're the military. We love training. So, so that was the uh, problem-solving approach. You got a complex system, no problem. Train the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but what what this uh, Navy Lieutenant Commander um, and Jenny Soto, if you're out there, uh, call me. <laughs> I, I don't know where she is. I haven't been able to find her. That sounded me. like, and not just because she's a member of the opposite sex, or but it just sounded like a plea to like an old like high school flame or something. <laughs> like it's nothing like that. No, yeah, no. yeah, of course, but of course, of course. There is a romantic notion to the fact that not everyone is so lucky to have such a concrete sort of moment in time that defined a, a worldview, right? I had I had one as well, Vince. I feel like I've talked about it before, but this is not quite the same in terms of like ideology, especially for like problem solving or for creation and stuff. But it was when I was starting my studio, and my uh, at the time mentor uh, responded to like my open house invite, and he just said like a quote, and I don't even I think it was Sally Hogshead, but the quote just said "jump and a net will appear," and it's just like oh yeah, oh yeah, like. I will create the net on the way down. We'll figure that out. And it's just like so accurate. You put yourself in this situation. So that's awesome. Sally's anyway. amazing, by the way. I just, I'm a huge Sally Hogshead fan. Too. Yes. Excellent. She yeah, is. I great. actually have the same publisher. So yeah, small world. Wow. <laughs> well, Sally, if you're out there, uh, call me. Yeah, call me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So uh, interestingly, that, that those two sentences when she said, I don't care how good it is. If it's not easy to use, I don't want it. That set me on a course of, of investigation and experimentation. Uh, I'm really sort of experimenting with my own career and my own projects uh, to look into issues of, of design and complexity. And one of the first things I found out was that ease of use and simplicity are not the same thing. Um, and, and that was kind of a, a, a moment like, oh, something could be complicated, but easy to use. Mm -hmm. Something could also be simple and hard to use. And, and so understanding this sort of uh, what I call weak simplicity, something that's very simple, but really hard to use. 
that's not a virtuous type of simplicity. That's not the kind of simplicity we want to aim for. Um, so sometime later, I, I came across uh, a couple of books by Don Norman. I don't know if you've uh, read any of his stuff. His I latest haven't. one, I think, is called Living with Complexity. I'm writing um, it down. And, Perhaps we'll show notes him. Yeah, go on. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. So uh, I think the book was uh, The Design of Everyday Things. Uh, and I just wrote him a fan letter. I said, you know, hey, Mr. Norman, I, I like what you're doing. Your, your, your books are influencing the way I think, and they're influencing the, the types of designs I'm doing for the military. Um, so thank you for what you do. That's really all, yep. all I said. And, and he wrote back. Uh, you know, it's amazing when you write a, a letter oh, to somebody and said, hey, I like what you're doing, and, and you, you know, compliment them, and you're sincere about it. Um, they often respond very positively to that it's type of thing. It's the best, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, I, he wrote back to me, I wrote back to him, and, and we had a, a conversation going on. And uh, at some point I had, I said, hey, I, I have this thing. It's called the Simplicity Cycle. It's a little diagram. And if I didn't mention before, the, the book is very visual. There's a lot of line drawings and sort of sketches and things. So I sent it to him, and, and he's like, wow, this is, this is interesting. This is good stuff. And he just said, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep writing on it. Um, and eventually he said, hey, Danny, I think you should meet my my agent. Uh, so he introduced me to his agent. Uh, and next thing I know, I had a, a two-book deal with Harper Collins. Bada bing, so, bada bang. Uh, I'm a big fan of writing fan letters. Oh, Write me too. Fan- I mean, we talk we talk about that a, a lot, I think. Or at least I'm, I'm constantly saying, when you are excited about something, dude, you have to. You have to express that to the person. If you can express that to the creator, it's like such a good thing. And genuine enthusiasm is easy to translate into a, a letter or a reaction. That's really cool. Can I can I ask you about a quote that you have on your website that I'm looking at right now? Sure. Uh, it because only because to me it is may it might be uh, in conflict with the idea of simplicity, but maybe it's not. And I'm thinking it probably isn't. Uh, and I'm excited to know why. It reads straight lines seldom make for interesting journeys. Hmm. Yeah, um, so that, that's a line from the from the book that straight lines seldom make interesting journeys. And yes, I would agree. It is in conflict with the idea that simplicity is always good and desirable and um, and satisfying. Uh, and, and again, the most important line in the book: simplicity is not the point. Uh, sometimes a curved line uh, is a more interesting product, a more interesting trip. Uh, than, than a straight line. Uh, now, part of the reason for that, and now I'm a, a Boy Scout and Eagle Scout, and you know, did a lot of hiking and camping when I was a kid. Oh, no kidding? Shortest... Fellow Eagle Scout here, actually. Oh, nice, nice. We Eagle Scouts, we should stick together. <laughs> no, no, no doubt, man. I'm feeling yeah. so much shame right now. <laughs> Just inadequacy. The Scouts are an American institution, Grant. Yeah, go on, whatever. All right, tell us your story, <laughs> Scout. <laughs> so the, the shortest distance from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain is not a straight line straight up the mountain. Uh, uh, that approach will kill you. Uh, the shortest distance is switchbacks uh, because it's a more sustainable pace. You can kind of, you're basically going back and forth across the mountain and sort of zigzagging your way up. Uh, it's it's less demanding on, on your body and, and the whole group can kind of make it up uh, a path by going back and forth. Uh, plus, it's more interesting. You kind of get to see parts of the mountain that you wouldn't otherwise. And uh, the point of going up, uh, you know, climbing to the top of a mountain isn't necessarily just to get to the top. It's to enjoy the the hike as well. So, um, yes, I'm a big fan of uh, curve lines and, and uh, rambling journeys. This is the exact thing, too, I was talking about. I don't know how accurate I actually was when I was talking about these analog music devices. But it is the same idea where it's if we get too reductionist, we miss out on what we might discover along the way 
uh, to a path that isn't from A to B necessarily. I think that's, that's also one of the dangers of simplicity, especially in the modern era with, with this, uh, complex system of information, the impetus is to always reduce, reduce, reduce. And that's where we get headline culture and all of the things that, (laughs) that, that reduce to the point of like, not just simplicity, but complete reduction of the actual idea or the actual story. Yeah, yeah. So in, in the book, I make a distinction between something that's simple and something that's simplistic. It's mm. kind of the difference between being childish and being childlike. You know, mm. it's good to be childlike. It's not so good to be childish. So it's unless good you're to be a child. Right, unless you're a child, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's good to be simple, but it's not good to be simplistic. There is this this weak simplicity, what I call this unvirtuous simplicity. Mm. Actually, I, I borrow that phrase from, uh, from Don Norman. Nice. Uh, unvirtuous simplicity, the type of simplicity that doesn't actually contribute value, meaning, and, and goodness to the, the object in question. Uh, you know, again, if you take a soup and you simplify it enough, at some point, all you have is hot water. Um, you know, and, <laughs> Which and is the soup. fundamental building block of life. So, right, I, right. so yeah, hot water is good, but hot water is not soup, right? <laughs> yes, yes, this is true. <laughs> we, uh, if you left with hot water, you've, you've oversimplified the soup. Are you, uh, are you a fan of Buckminster Fuller at all? Um, yes, you know, I don't know an, as much about him as I would like to, but, okay. uh, you know, buckyballs and, and carbon nanotubes and things like that, uh, and some of his architecture. Geodesic domes, sure, yeah. The domes I, are brilliant. Yeah, he was a, he's a real cool guy. I feel like he was fundamental for me when I was, like, thinking about simplicity and when I was actually, like, getting going with less as, like, uh, an identity as I was taking that on. I was, like, going deep on that end. So we will show notes Buckminster Fuller as well, who is, like, a dude who deserves his due. Nice, nice. Well, let me add something else to uh, consider for your show notes. Uh, I'm currently deeply in love with a book titled Progress in Flying Machines. Uh, It was published in 1894, uh, and it basically documents uh, by – yeah, it was published in 1894 by uh, a railroad engineer named Octave Chanute, and it basically documents 400 years of failed aviation experiments. Uh, So he published this book nine years before the Wright brothers had their first flight. Oh, amazing. Uh, and what a remarkable thing to do to, you know, here we have this big problem, uh, heavier than air flight that nobody had solved yet. And this guy writes a book about it and said, this didn't work, this didn't work, this didn't work. And it's full of these beautiful line drawings and, and just great stories. Uh, he almost spends more time talking about people and, and the people involved doing this than he does the, the technology itself. Uh, so as an engineering resource, it's, it's out of date, of course. You know, the, the tables and the calculations and things, those aren't the useful part. But there's these amazing stories and hints in his book of what did eventually work. And, and he could kind of see this coming. He's like, I think this person's on the right track. And, and this particular design is going to be more successful than that other design. Uh, and so it's just it's a fascinating look at a really um, special point in history, a uh, fairly unique point in history, uh, right before the Wright brothers uh, succeeded. And it's really an un- untold story. I've talked to so many people in the Air Force who have never heard of, of these guys and, and or never heard of this book, never heard of these stories. Uh, and they're just, uh, they're just fascinating. But one of the common themes in that book is that simplicity works. Uh, the things that didn't work generally were too complicated. Uh, but simplicity is, is important and powerful and tremendously difficult to achieve. And mm. it's that, that value of simplicity and the difficulty of simplicity. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, well, that, that looks obvious. That seems yeah, like, yeah. of course we should have done it that way. Uh, but to get to that that point of that simple thing that looks intuitive, 
uh, it's tremendously challenging. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think about that with design quite a bit. And I think maybe somewhere we would overlap, especially in thinking or philosophy might be systems, like systems thinking. That's like one of the more challenging things uh, in design for me is like thinking about, oh, what does the system look like? How does this apply in this way? How can it be flexible? I'm going to take a step back. I'm curious about your, a little bit of your history. Like how did you, we, we, we saw like moment zero of your simplicity thinking a little bit, or at least like something that kind of sent you hurtling down this path, but, but what sent you down the path of, of maybe first engineering and then second, the military? Um, yeah, sure. So, uh, I was always good at math and science and always really enjoyed math and science, you know, all through school and kind of figured that, uh, putting math and science together, you, you get engineering. And so I figured that's what I would do. I was, I think I was 35. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I think I was 35 before I realized I'm also a writer. Um, oh, and cool. I'm, I'm kind of glad about that because, uh, you know, I think to have something to write about, uh, is, is a beautiful thing, you know, to, uh, to just want to write is, is also great, but my engineering background and my engineering experience and my experience in the military kind of gives me this deep well of, of stories to tell and, and experiences to draw from. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I kind of came to this uh, writing realization later. Uh, my dad was in the uh, Air Force for about 25 years, uh, both my grandfathers and a couple uh, great-grandparents as well, some fourth wow. generation military. And um, it was kind of the, the, the family business. Uh, <laughs> and so I grew up as a you know, as an Air Force brat, and um, I liked the the opportunity, I like the lifestyle, I like the chance to, to move around and see different parts of the country and, you know, and to serve that way. Uh, but I got to say, 1994, when I when I got commissioned, it's kind of a weird time to join the military. Uh, the Cold War had ended. Uh, 9-11 was still seven years in the future. And, you know, we weren't quite sure, why are we here? You know, who's, who's the bad guy that we're supposed to defend uh, against? And what types of technology should we be focusing on? Um, one of my first projects I led was uh, uh, an email system, and our big selling point was that this was an email, like a classified email system, that you could now send a classified attachment in your email, mm. uh, and that was like the big breakthrough. So uh, yeah, we were very proud of, of being able to do that. <laughs> wow, that's actually cool to me. That's actually pretty pretty fucking cool. But, <laughs> uh, uh, so I actually have a, a, a question in regards to simplicity on a more personal level. Um, sure. I'm guessing that this philosophy isn't something that ends when you, you know, dab the pen at the end of your book. This is something that you carry on to your own personal life. Uh, How do you kind of live this mantra of simplicity and what sort of habits, systems, patterns do you have in place in your own life um, to make efficacy, efficiency, and simplicity happen on a day-to-day basis? Um, wow, that's a deep question. I, I, I can't say I've thought about that a whole lot, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, clearly any author is going to write, uh, or pretty much every book is, is at least to a certain extent autobiographical. And it talks about your, um, well, your, your books and your writings and or anything you make will, will reveal your, your childhood issues. Right. Right. Yeah. Childhood issues. Sure, <laughs> okay, sure. Um, well, in fact, the, um, uh, the blurb on the cover of my first book, uh, by Dan Pink, says uh, the book makes a compelling case that none of us can design anything without revealing our values. That's cool. um, so uh, I'm tickled to have Dan Pink doing a blurb on the, yeah, on the cover. That's great. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're right. Anybody who writes a book uh, titled the simplicity cycle um, probably thinks about simplicity, even when he's not writing. 
so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I could point to any specific thing and say, you know, this part of my life really exemplifies simplicity versus complexity. Uh, again, bearing in mind that simplicity is not the point. Um, but um, again, making good decisions about complexity. When am I going to allow and embrace and increase complexity? Uh, and when am I going to make uh, make a point to to reduce it? Um, and so really, again, if the point of the book is about goodness, the point of the book is about developing things that are you know, effective and good and valuable, uh, I'd say that's where I really focus um, kind of my life. You know, where am I spending my time? Am I, am I doing stuff that matters? Am I doing stuff that's helpful? Am I doing stuff that's that's of service? Uh, you know, whether it's in the military or, or now helping my clients, uh, helping my readers. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's kind of the 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 life parallel with the uh, the concepts in the book. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's that's interesting to me. I mean, I th- I think of it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm paralleling them too closely. Uh, where it's simplicity is not the goal. To me, it's like efficiency is the goal. But maybe that's not the right way to look at it. But I um, do think of efficiency as the goal sometimes when I'm thinking about simplicity. Yeah, I, I think there's a linkage between simplicity and efficiency. Um, and I think there are times when when it's good to go ahead and, and be messy, go ahead and be inefficient, at least sort of tactically inefficient, inefficient in the short term, uh, like doing those switchbacks on a mountain. It feels inefficient to, you know, hey, I'm... I'm covering a lot of distance uh, horizontally and not covering a whole lot of distance vertically. Uh, you know, that may feel inefficient at mm. the time, but when you get to camp and you still have enough energy to, you know, gather firewood and, and set up your, your tent, all of a sudden you realize, hey, that was actually the most efficient way to, to get up to the, the base. Exactly. So I guess that is the goal, though, is like, yeah, yeah, short-term inefficiency, but ultimate efficiency. It's like goal achievement, really. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned design thinking and, and systems thinking, and, and so and the military talks about strategic thinking. That's really uh, what comes into play with all of this. So, like Peter Senge's uh, book, the, the Fifth Discipline, um, you know, was something that was very influential on me when I you know, first started out. Um, and so, you know, when I'm talking with engineers, I, I try to encourage them to not just do the math, but sort of do all the math, do the strategic math. You know, take a look at uh, not just efficiencies of today, but what are the costs that have come along with these so-called uh, efficiencies that we might you know, try and introduce uh, some of the, the secondary effects? And uh, one thing I, I often tell my audiences is that in that famous Greek uh, race told by uh, you know, one of the Aesop's fables, the tortoise was faster than the hare because the tortoise got to the finish line first. There we go. And that's the type of speed that I'm that I'm interested in. Exactly. I'm, I'm like high five and you oh. threw the yeah. game. <laughs> that is that's so insightful. It's like winning, right? I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about in some ways, but it, it, it that adds kind of a competitive edge that Yeah. But okay, yeah, were you yeah. getting at something, Ben? Uh not not especially. I was actually gonna hopefully derail the conversation by bringing up uh like the a counterpoint maybe in the the actual end goal in a, in a given pursuit. I would like to know where simplicity comes in in terms of um, enjoying something maybe in the creative intake process. Uh, an example maybe for my own personal life, when I read a book, I like to read it very inefficiently. So that's like chapter at a time, maybe two chapters, then set it down even if I still feel like reading it. And then come back to it later. And I think this is kind of like uh, taking the meandering path 
in 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 a in a fork in the road that leads to the same place in the same amount of time. Where does intentional inefficiency and not for the sake of a greater overall efficiency come into the creative process for you guys? Um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. And I like your example of, you know, sort of reading a book and setting it down. Um, I think there's great value. Uh, and again, with value being sort of the, the, the overall, you know, larger goal here, there's great value in working on something and then setting it aside and letting it sort of marinate. It sort of lets the, the subconscious, um, get engaged and, and involved. And, you know, even with something as, as simple as reading and enjoying a book, um, I enjoy a book more if I read a chapter and then sort of think about that chapter throughout the day or through a couple of days and then, then come back to the book and see, it gives you a chance to sort of build up that anticipation. Huh. I wonder what's going to happen next in the story. And I wonder what's going to happen in the next chapter. I can look forward to it. And it's for my money, it's a more engaged approach to reading than just sort of speed reading through a, through a novel and Hey, you finished it in an hour. Well, good job. But did you get, uh, you know, the, the full enjoyment out of that, uh, out of that particular work. Uh, uh, we, uh, the, we have the grant mouth noise of, of perhaps disagreement. Go for it. <clears throat> sure. Okay. So total value to letting things marinate, letting them develop. Absolutely. And of course this is personal, uh, sure. but um, yes, I, I love to do that. I love to work on something and then come back to it. There's huge value in that. What I will say is, and maybe this isn't for you guys, although I will, I, it feels like I'm at odds with your ideology on reading a chapter, coming back to it, if only just for my own mental psyche, and actually almost because, like, in the pursuit of simplicity. So, like, I don't like to have something, this is just like an OCD kind of thing, but I don't <laughs> like to have an open-ended thing, and so I'm sort of completist. I feel like I've been using that term a lot oh, lately, sure. where it's like, I find more value personally out of completing the thing, but not, you said speed reading through and uh, that implies that I'm not but paying attention. But it's all on a scale, right, Grant? Yes. It's all on a scale. Yes, yes, yes. Like, so I don't, I don't think like if I were to take it one chapter per week and think about the chapter at length that entire week, I don't think that would be an enjoyable experience for me. So I think the important thing thing is to understand when it comes to efficiency a lot about it a lot of it is pace setting i think for me it goes for my professional career it goes for working on personal projects and it works on like enjoying things um i enjoy a series more when i watch two episodes a night over the course of a month instead of binge watching it in one weekend Uh, so like understanding your own wheelhouse, your own strike zone, the, the pace at which you create best and consume best is what maximizing efficiency is about. And I think that is part of simplicity. I would agree. I would agree. And I think you used a couple of really key words there. And one was taste. You know, we all have our own individual tastes and preferences for, for how much simplicity we can tolerate and how much complexity we can tolerate. So some one person might walk into a room and say, oh, what a beautiful, elegant room this is. And another person could walk into that exact same room and think, it's so stark, it's so cold, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- th- a lot of this is subjective and, you know, it's not, there's not an absolute scale that we can use to measure this, uh, you know, to equate 
the, the value and, and the goodness of, of simplicity. Um, but the other thing you mentioned was pacing too. I think you know, we all sort of have our own natural pace and we can adopt our pace as needed when, you know, in, in certain situations. Uh, but I'm a distance runner, for example. So the thought of, of going out and running seven miles, um, I, I'm grinning like an idiot right now, just at the thought of having a really good seven mile run. But if you tried to make me run a mile and a half, um, y- you can't. Uh, there's there's nothing that would make me go off and do a mile and a half run. Uh, <laughs> Except for perhaps tackling you a mile and a half into your <laughs> right. seven mile run. <laughs> so as, as part of the, the Air Force annual fitness test, you have to do a mile and a half run under a certain time. Um, and I did it and I, you know, got a really good score on that on that particular run, but I hated it. I felt terrible the whole time. It was mm. it was just the wrong pace for me. And I was so happy when I took that test for the last time of my life uh, and said, wow, I never have to run a mile and a half yeah. again. Now I get to focus on running. I mean, stuff. this is key, self-awareness. Literally, our, uh, yes. I know we were connected via Seth Godin originally. So it's, it's uh, uh, apropos to mention our episode with Seth Godin was called self-awareness. It's like a key tenet. Although we've been tending toward a term called self-definition recently. We've been flirting with (laughs) self-definition lately. It's nothing nothing too official. It's brunette. It has a short haircut. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the point is, right, different strokes, and absolutely. But I think my only point uh, was that I, I, yeah, I get more value out of deep, deep diving, really, just deep diving versus measured pacing. Although what I, actually, you know what, hold on, let's look at, pacing my pacing it to me feels like deep dive out and into a different pool deep dive out and into a different pool and it's just sort of back and forth and like i revisit the pools and in that way i sort of if we stretched out the the distance with which i'm diving is probably the same as someone who's swimming slow laps you know Sure, sure. And I think, you know, at least it's self-awareness, knowing yourself, self-definition, you know, all of these things kind of help, help inform us and and help us figure out how to make good definition or good decisions about our pacing, about our complexity. Um, The other thing that I I didn't mention before, so I'm going to throw this in now too, is understanding that while I might have a certain preference or a certain tolerance for different amounts of simplicity and complexity, my customers, my clients, my supervisors, my colleagues might all have different uh, levels of tolerance of, of complexity, different mm. levels of preferences for simplicity. And, and a big part of what I try to do with the Simplicity Cycle book is help us have these important conversations with each other so that we can kind of bring them to light and say, you know, oh, that person's not crazy. Uh, they just like simplicity more than I do, or they, they prefer complexity more than I do. And, and as a team, we kind of have to coalesce and say, okay, what is our common uh, level of, yeah. of simplicity complexity and how that relates to goodness yeah that's such a that's such a nuanced and like deep topic especially when i think about aesthetic and user experience and the customer i, I feel like we can't fully deep dive in there but sure yeah. sure well and now and- that is a deep pool to to maybe dive in uh when we talk about personal swimming paces i feel like Mine is kind of like where you have that shallow pool, above ground pool in your yard. Like, so so shallow that like your three-year-old child can't even drown in it physically. And then just laying in that on my back <laughs> for eight hours a day, every day. That's my pace. Speaking that that sounds of, beautiful, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of indulgence and decadence and uh, kicking back in a way. We are going to dive into our off-topic topic, 
which is something we do every week. Not sure if you're familiar, but we like to get away from the topic at hand and talk about something not particularly Particularly germane to (laughs) the topic at hand. This week we're talking about gambling, the old roll of the dice, Uh, risk, reward. Are you a recreational gambler at all, Mr. Ward? Uh, I am Mr. not. It was only with great reluctance that I, I bought one of those Powerball tickets when the, the Oh, you did. <laughs> I did only with great reluctance, and it was because my wife said, "No, oh, just go pick one up." So, like, oh, I, it's just a, it's just tax on people who aren't good at math, and and but I went ahead and plunked down my two dollars, and uh, uh, clearly I did not win. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't pick one up. Did you pick one up, Vince? I didn't. I I'm like uh, I'm pretty adverse, and I'm a total hypocrite. I might be the most hypocritical person of all time when it comes to gambling, because I I have a great distaste for the national lottery or lottery in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like well, I actually appreciate it as a mechanism. It's a, a voluntary tax, basically. Uh, but beyond that, I, I I don't like to participate in it. But I do love to gamble because of the inherent entertainment value in it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see that. You know, you just don't get the same utility out of the National Lottery that you would out of... And I'm just realizing the beauty of this fucking off-topic topic out of, uh, let's say, for example, a game of Blackjack, of which I've seen you play a few. You see me lose a couple hundred dollars (laughs) playing Blackjack. Uh, We were at the same table on the Creative Scope West trip uh, three long years ago now. Wow. Uh, and uh, I, I do, I do love the casino. I love the atmosphere. I'm a huge fan of atmosphere in the places that I go. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and and a, a casino is a very unique atmosphere. Yeah. It's still smoke filled. It's still gin soaked. It's still completely populated by regulars. It's like the seediest tavern mixed with the absolute epitome of high spend insanity marketing and lights and neon and oxygen pumping it in baby <laughs> the things they do no clocks oxygen being pumped in bright lights i'm all about Free it drinks it's, yeah that's like your scene bro <laughs> <laughs> i don't like what that says about me personally but it's true uh the the thrill of it is one thing i don't think it's that great but i do love the the action of of playing the games of chance. Yeah, my my uh, my poker name, of course, is uh, Short Stack. So uh, uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've played a little poker, just friendly poker with the family, and I'm uh, notorious for being like the first one out. Uh, I, I think part of it is I sort of lack that uh, that competitive <laughs> drive or that competitive edge that that need to win. Um, well, yeah. I need to beat someone. My my favorite to person to compete someone. with is myself. Um, <laughs> And because uh, when I compete with myself, uh, I, I always win and I always <laughs> lose. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to say, it, it probably just says, like, you don't have the dark side, like the desire to deceive, especially in poker. <laughs> I mean, that's what, what people are getting off to there. I am uh, a terrible liar. In fact, uh, when I was in the military, I had to take a, a polygraph test as part of my, um, uh, you know, getting my security clearance. Um, the guy administering the test actually laughed at me. He's like, oh, my goodness, sir. Some people are bad at lying, but you're like broke the needle on my on my machine. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Lieutenant Ward, you're gonna want to take this uh, cyanide pill and just have this at the ready because <laughs> you can't be trusted uh, if you are to fall into enemy hands. 
Man, uh, I I used to like, like the easiest uh, polygraph you ever gave. So, <laughs> oh dang, <laughs> that's, that's cool in a way. In a way that is cool, actually. Hold on, side <laughs> note: is the, the lieutenant in Forrest Gump? You must have gotten this. Mm-hmm. Is it? Isn't he? Dan, is he Dan Ward as well? No, uh, no, but he he's Lieutenant Dan, mm-hmm. and I was a lieutenant when Forrest Gump came out. So wow. I, I was no. Lieutenant Dan. But the timing was perfect. Did well, you get endlessly harassed, or was it actually a kind of a boon? Uh, it was kind of funny, you know, just. People randomly shouting, hey, Lieutenant Dan, with, you know, the Forrest Gump accent, which I won't even attempt to. to yeah, imitate. don't do that. <laughs> you you got to go with Tom Hanks to the White House, which that, that was cool, too. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they got your rank right always, right? That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Mm, I like gambling, Vin, but, like, I haven't really played at a casino much. I feel like it, I don't get that much utility out of it because I'm like, eh, I'm probably going to... Like, I, I, I know the math it requires and the confidence it requires to actually play seriously, but I used to, and I actually still love, like, playing, like, small games. Did you ever come... You never played with my uncle, did you? My uncle has this, like, home game, my crazy ultra-marathon uncle. <laughs> He's... Uh, talk about a distance runner, man. That guy's <laughs> insane, seriously. But, uh, yeah, he would he would have a host a home game occasionally with some characters. That was, that was pretty fun to play. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, the only time I ever played poker with you, Grant, is when you came to. Oh my goodness! And, yeah, and uh, took some money from me. Oh yeah, man, that was fun. We should do that again. Anytime, <laughs> man. Anytime. Uh, are there any? Actually, guys, I, I might have just remembered one of the other reasons I don't play poker so much. Um, all through high school and college, I, I kind of worked my way through as a uh, magician. Um, so I did birthday <laughs> parties and and sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah birthday parties, libraries, hospitals, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. And the rule was, you know, don't do card tricks for the people you play poker with because, you know, they'll, they'll never trust you to deal. So um, I'm like, yeah, I, I can pick one or the other. I can either, you know, do card tricks or, or play poker, kind of focus on the, the card tricks and less so much on the poker. Do we have any like archive video of you like doing magic <laughs> that would brighten me? So <laughs> uh, I, I do have a, a pretty cool photo of I'm a fire eater as well and a juggler. So I have the depths with which you're revealing yourself. This is fantastic. Talk about a cold open. Talk about burying the lead. Talk yeah. about selling short. <laughs> Suddenly you're a magician and a juggler. Uh, well, you could have had a, a career as an Edward Norton type character <laughs> in Rounders, you know, oh, just completely. <laughs> but alas. wait, so if you have if you have any media, if you have any media containing pictures of you as a magician, a fire eater, videos, send those our way, and we will certainly show notes them. They're going right in the notes. I, I will definitely send you the the picture of me blowing the great big fireball. It's uh, it's a pretty cool wow. Story. I am so excited. In fact, that may be the episode art. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, anyways, right, well, like that my, my first book was titled Fire, so it really was a, a good fit. It was an acronym, though, correct? Uh, and, the, and the book, it was an acronym, yeah. It's a way to say it. It's a pretty fun acronym. Right, right. <laughs> uh, no, say it. No, seriously. Oh, uh, oh so yeah, the acronym is uh, stands for Fast, Inexpensive, Restrained, and Elegant. And we're right back into simplicity, Vince. There's a segue for you. I'm truly learning from the master today. You are a god of your craft. Um, but it is a good time to jump back in because I don't think we could top fire swallowing anyway. Uh, we have two questions for you. We like to keep the close to our show pretty simple. And against all odds, I still manage to mess it up sometimes. But <laughs> sometimes. <I> would- <laughs> 
And when you said clothes, I was thinking like, oh yeah, we always wear just a simple pair of khaki shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, that is the uniform of our show. <laughs> okay. A lanyard with our name on it. <laughs> uh, but we do have two questions for you. If you'd be gracious enough to answer them for us. Uh, the first one is, Mr. Dan Ward, how can our listeners support you? Oh, well, thank you so much. That's a very generous question. Um, you can go to uh, my website, thedanward.com. That's T-H-E, and then my name, danward.com, uh, and sign up for my newsletter. Uh, you can download some free uh, resources and stuff. And uh, But, yeah, if anybody does happen to pick up a copy of the book and, and read it, boy, one of the nicest things you can do for an author is Leave to review. write them a good review. On Absolutely. I, I will say uh, I have not read the book, uh, but I was looking at the book, and I love the design of it, which I see a lot of books and authors, and their their designs suck, and that kills me. As just just from you know, it just kills me, man. It's like hard to buy the book, but the design of your cover is fantastic, and Thanks. so Thanks. I'm certainly intrigued. I was very happy with how the cover design came. Good, out. good, yeah. good, good. And I think especially in a, a, a subject matter like this, it means a lot more. Usually the adage is true. You can't judge a book by its cover. But when the topic of the book is simplicity and its intrinsic value to design and other facets of business, uh, I think you can kind of. And Yeah. Or you ought to. In this case. Yeah. <laughs> you <ought to. laughs> yeah. Uh, great. Well, we'll show notes those uh, that link and the book. And our second question would be, Mr. Dan Ward, if you would like our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the show, what would you want that to be? Um, well, I guess I'm going to probably go with the obvious one there. And I think the, the one big takeaway <laughs> would be simplicity is not the point. Goodness is the point. And the reason we adjust the simplicity and complexity of the things we design and make and use is in order to make them better. Well said. I mean, uh, boom, I th- boom. I think when you when you distinguished, make it simple from keep it simple. Besides yes. being a clever attack on acronymism, uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty insightful. I think you want it to be a simple experience, even if it isn't always a simple product. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Absolutely. I think in terms of application for, especially for creatives, but I mean, people across the board, uh, simplicity is a complex process. And I think when you get into the depths of that and you, or you, especially when you start getting into that, you're like, oh, I'm going to keep it so simple. Okay. Let's just say someone is using that, the kiss, the old kiss, you start to realize oh, wow, this is so complex. This is like, this is tough. This is hard. This is, it's murky. I'm getting tired. But the reality is that to make things truly simple and to make them truly good, oftentimes takes so much effort and takes a fair amount of complexity. And But it's worth it. And it truly is distilling and it is refining if, you, if you're willing to like go beyond, you know, step one, step two, and really just like push through. And, and it's worth it. Most times. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really is. It really is. Yeah, I think, you know, if we try to keep something simple, we can end up stunting the design. Uh, and we end up then, you know, sort of throwing up our hands and giving up because I couldn't keep it simple. Um, yeah. But if you kind of persist and you hang in there and you, you do that seven mile run, you know, you get through it and you say, okay, 
there's there's time and effort involved in this. And then my final result is even simpler than what I was originally envisioning. Um, but there's so much richness and depth to that simplicity. And that's when you know you've really arrived. Well said. Drops the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Very, and let me just say that your, the points that you've made throughout this episode have been very succinct, simple, and just on point. They've, they've been great. And I think you're, you're a great example of living your philosophy. And I really appreciate, I'll speak for both of us. We really appreciate your coming on our show and you're being generous with your time. So thank you for joining us. Grant and Vince, I so appreciate the chance to do this. This was so much fun. We should do this every night. Uh, I really enjoyed myself. Oh, wow, this is like a this is like a joke that I would typically make, which is to be like overconsumption to the death. It's like, oh, I like something. Uh, okay, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Let's do this again. Like, yeah. Uh, so for the next two hours of the episode, uh, so thank you, for Dano, Dano, Dan. Uh, yeah, thank you. It's nice because I've got a lot of wind in these sales, and sometimes. Sometimes it's good to just have a, a brief respite. <laughs> we do have Happy one more. Bunch on that one, yeah. <laughs> we do have one more request for you, though, Dan, sure. uh, and that's to recite our very simple sign-off mantra, uh, which is "Ship it." It is kind of the maybe to now over-explain it. Uh, the idea please vince (laughs) if it doesn't ship it is an art um make something happen a seth godin idea certainly oh and also like uh, when we're talking about constraints i mean that's a good one is like ship it or at least ship v1 that's like a good way to keep it simple yeah 100 percent. excuse me make it simple (laughs) all right should we go back to the start (laughs) we do it over (laughs) from the top guys but dan (laughs) if you could give us uh, a 10,000 hours ship it to sign off we would be eternally gla- grateful we'd be glacial we'd be eternally glacial <laughs> it would mean the world absolutely hey this is uh, Dan Ward with Grant and Vince and I'm telling you to ship it 